Hero's Journey, January Booklist 2022. The Hobbit, The Lost Colony and Hatteras Island, The World's Last Night, The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, and The Meadow. The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. One of the oldest myths in English literature, The Slain of a Dragon, is fantastically retold with a reluctant hobbit as the hero instead of a knight in shining armor. The tale begins in the Shire, a kind of Eden in Middle-earth, where there is no war but plenty of pipeweed, strong drink, and good grub. The inhabitants eat two dinners a day, wear bright clothes, and pride themselves on being unadventurous. It is a place of decadence and leisure, like much of the world today, lacking only privation and meaning. The wizard Gandalf plucks the hobbit Bilbo Baggins from this place of comfort and luxury and puts him on the path of adventure. Gandalf is an archetype of wisdom, a mouthpiece of providence, a messenger of the divine. Bilbo is smoking his pipe outside when Gandalf arrives and has a conversation with him. Wisdom will speak to you, but you must be quiet and in a position to listen. Bilbo cuts the conversation short and goes inside, but Gandalf leaves a mark on his door. If you open yourself to wisdom, even if it does not appear to go well, wisdom will leave its mark. The next day, dwarfs begin showing up, guided by the mark. Soon there are 13 total, followed by Gandalf himself. Bilbo is the host of an unexpected party. Thirteen is, of course, an unlucky number, which is why the dwarfs ask Gandalf to choose the final member of their company. Their quest is to return to the Lonely Mountain and steal back the treasure of their fathers from the dragon that took it. The dwarfs are not happy with the choice of the hobbit, and the hobbit shares the sentiment. They all argue with wisdom. Gandalf settles things by basically saying of Bilbo, he is what I say he is, and quote, there is a lot more in him than you guess, and a deal more than he has any idea of himself. There are many points worthy of discussion, but I will only focus on two more. First, Bilbo and the dwarfs are taken captive by goblins and led deep into the caverns of a mountain. Gandalf rescues them. As they are fleeing, Bilbo is knocked unconscious, while the rest of the company escapes. Bilbo wanders to the very roots of the Misty Mountains, where he encounters Gollum. On his way down, he finds the ring. He does not have the faintest idea how this discovery will affect his journey and the future of Middle-earth. Even Gandalf does not grasp the significance which is covered fully in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Suffice to say, our stories affect future generations, especially the choices we make at our lowest points. Bilbo plays a game of riddles with Gollum, the archetype of death. Literally for the Hobbit, if he loses, then he will be killed. Bilbo cheats death with words. This experience in the depths equips him to defeat the dragon. Second, the band of dwarves and the Hobbit reach the Lonely Mountain. Bilbo converses with the dragon Smog, the archetype of malevolence. The Hobbit cleverly appeals to the dragon's pride and convinces him to reveal his weakness through dialogue. This weakness is shared with the men in nearby Lake Town. The dragon is killed, the dwarfs claim the gold, and there is much rejoicing. Yay! 
only there was not. Before being slain, Smog completely destroys Lake Town and kills a quarter of the inhabitants. More die in the following days of exposure, starvation, and unclean water. Then the lake men and the elven king sally forth to claim their portion of the dragon gold. But the band of dwarfs have blocked the entrance to the mountain, prepared for a siege, and sent word to their kinsmen to meet them on the field of battle. The death of the dragon, instead of uniting the people of Middle-earth, divides them farther. Malevolent power was destroyed, but so was the peace that that power produced. No thought was given to what to replace the dragon with once it was dethroned. The death of the dragon, as I said, divided the people of Middle-earth. I will leave the battle of the five armies and the journey home for you. All three of the major trials I've discussed hang on words. The call to adventure begins by having a dialogue with wisdom. The hero is transformed when he talks with death. In climatic conversation, pride is revealed to be the weakness of malevolence. Throughout, Bilbo uses his words and his sword as needed. But you will have to be the judge of which weapon saved him from worse calamity. The Lost Colony and Hatteras Island by Scott Dawson. In 1587, the English established a colony on Roanoke Island off what would become North Carolina of about 150 persons, including women, children, and the first European born in the Americas, Virginia Dare. Resupply ships were delayed due to the Spanish Armada, among other mishaps, for several years. In 1590, a relief mission found that the colony had been abandoned and the word Croatoan carved into a palisade post. During the Great Depression, the award-winning play The Lost Colony was written and began being performed in an outdoor amphitheater on the site of the original colony. Since 1937, over four million people have seen the play. The economy was stimulated by tourists flocking to see it, and the region embraced the play as part of its cultural identity, renaming streets after characters. The climax of the play is the disappearance of the colonists and the discovery of the mystery word Croatoan, which no one knew what it meant. Only, as Scott Dawson points out, everyone did know what Croatoan meant. It was the name of a nearby island called Hatteras Now. This book details primary source documents and years of work by archaeologists from the University of Bristol that solve a 400-year-old mystery. Ironically, the parking lot for the Lost Colony play is covering up an area that would likely unearth even more. Several takeaways. A spear point was uncovered that was 13,000 years old twice the age of the Egyptian pyramids, a testament to how long people have lived in the area. There is strong evidence that the colony assimilated into the Croatoan tribe. Mantia was a Croatoan Indian and one of the two first Native Americans to travel to Europe, where he met the Queen of England, learned English, and crossed the Atlantic three more times. The first Europeans to travel to America faced inhospitable and harsh conditions. Finally, though this book is factual, the Lost Colony play is a better story. 
I doubt tourists will soon demand dry facts over one of the most successful and longest running performances, regardless of the truth. The World's Last Night by C.S. Lewis. This book is a compilation of seven essays of which I will briefly discuss three. In Lilies That Fester, Lewis states, quote, culture like religion is a name given from outside to activities which are not themselves interested in culture at all and would be ruined the moment they were. The essay is written for agnostics and atheists that put their faith in culture. Another line from this essay that struck me was, quote, the sensitivity that enriches must be of the sort that guards a man from wounding others, not of the sort that makes him ready to feel wounded himself. In Religion and Rocketry, Lewis explores what it would mean for theology if there are other life forms in the universe. It was a brilliant and far-sighted essay penned in 1958 that still rings true. Finally, in The World's Last Night, Lewis discusses Christ's second coming. In this essay, he quotes George MacDonald, quote, When he tells them to watch, lest he find them neglecting their work, they stare this way and that, and watch, lest he should succeed in coming like a thief. In a footnote, there is a throwaway line, quote, Is the whole dialectical view of history possibly a gigantic projection of the old dream that we can make gold? There are several great thinkers that I have been grappling with recently that have proposed this same idea. Isaac Newton, one of the fathers of modern science, was an alchemist. Is modern science a revisioning of the desire to make gold? The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. The audio version of this book is available for free on Spotify. It is also in the public domain, so there are free PDFs available online. The first third of the book is like an Alexander Dumas tale, episodic and filled with adventure. The young Franklin is an apprentice as a printer to his brother, but being hot-tempered and rash has a falling out. He leaves his family, walking, rowing, and riding to Philadelphia. Franklin details how he came up with the idea for the public library system and public fire stations. He also describes starting a militia in Philadelphia and raising funds for the defense of the city. One of the most fascinating parts of the book is actually an appendix that describes in detail the Philadelphia experiments. He built a kite out of a silk handkerchief flew it from an open window during thunderstorms, and used it to pull, quote, electrical fire from the clouds to conduct experiments. Regrettably, he does not describe any of the things for which he is most well-known, such as being a signer of the Declaration of Independence or helping to found the American Republic. Still, there is value in hearing Franklin describe his life in his own words, which are frank and well-chosen. He began life as a poor print man, but trusted in his own industriousness and providence that led him to stand before kings and dignitaries, and he offers maxims and anecdotal wisdom along the way. The Meadow by James Galvin. Intertwining vignettes tell the intergenerational tale of a meadow on the border between Colorado and Wyoming but at times it feels more like the border between earth and eternity. It is a book about the American West, 
where the prose is damn near poetry and its beauty comes from its truth. The pages are filled with snow, coyotes, abandoned refrigerators, drunks, birds that eat pancakes, beaver dams, homemade bread, log cabins, cows, and loss, much like the West itself. Quote, Lyle told me he could hear different tunes emitted by different stars on the stillest, coldest winter nights. He said he could tell which notes came from which stars. He couldn't hear them all the time, just winter nights, and then, when he was about 60, he admitted sadly that he couldn't hear them anymore. Age, I guess. When he said he heard the stars, though, he wasn't exaggerating. In fact, he was worried I'd think he was nuts, even though he knew I had never in 35 years heard him say anything but the absolute truth as far as he knew it. If Lyle said he heard stars, he heard stars. The only reason he mentioned it was because it was curious to him, the idea of the music of the spheres and all. Thank you.